0: I can remember growing up playing outside with my little brother in the summertime, and one day we decided that we were going to dig ourselves an underground cave fort to protect us from our mortal enemies, our sisters. And so we set to work digging this underground cave fort, but it wasn't much fun digging out in the hot, blistering sun. You know, you end up like a lobster after a little while. So we decided we were gonna dig in the shade. So we went out and started digging under one of the big trees in the backyard. Now, I'm not totally dumb. I know that you can't dig super close to a tree trunk or else the roots are gonna get in the way. So I've, I picked a spot a ways away from the tree trunk, but close enough to the tree that I was still in the shade and we started digging there in the shade. And I didn't get probably two shovelfuls, dug before my shovel went funk and hit a tree root. And then another one, thunk, thunk, and they seem to be everywhere. I just remember being amazed as a kid how far the roots of that tree went underground. So here's the deal, church. If we're going to understand the beautiful fruit of God's family tree, we have to trace it back from the leaves to the branches to the trunk and all the way down to the roots. If we wanna have this healthy family fruit, then we have to have healthy roots. So that's where we're gonna start today, the roots. Biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Gender. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis chapters one, two, and three. Genesis one, two, and three, that's where we're gonna be. And it's no big secret that gender gender is a hot button issue in our world today. So before we jump in, I wanna just lay a foundation of some underlying principles that'll guide our discussion today. And the first one is this, God created us. Uh, we are each created by God in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Uh, but we live in a world that believes that each individual has the right to define who they are on their own, independently. And that nobody else has a a right to question that self-definition. That you can be whoever you want to be, just look inside yourself. But we believe that we are created by God. And as such, we are not our own. We are his. And since he made us, he therefore defines who we are. We cannot truly know ourselves without first knowing him. We did not make ourselves, he made us. So how did he make us? Leads us to the second thing. God created us male and female. Again, verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created us male and female. Those are the options. Your biological sex is determined at conception. And those X and Y chromosomes are coded into every single cell in your body. You are either a man or a woman. Which leads us to the next thing. God created men and women equal in value. Men and women are equal in value. Uh, you know that God created Adam, the first man, out of dirt, and then made his wife, Eve, the first woman, out of Adam's rib. And I heard of a little boy who was learning at church one Sunday about how God made the first woman from the man's rib. And then the next day, uh, the little boy's mom came across him on the couch, and he was curled up on the couch just moaning, "Oh!" and the mom said, well, what's wrong, honey? you got a stomach ache?" He said, no, I think I'm having a wife. (laughs) And we believe that God created the woman out of the man's side intentionally. That was not an accident. I've heard it said before that God did not make the woman out of a bone from the man's head so that she might be over him. Nor did he make the woman from a bone in the man's foot so that he might be over her. Rather, he made her out of a bone in the man's side so that equal in worth and value, they may walk side by side through life. And we believe that men and women are created equal in value. And unfortunately, throughout history, there has been a lot of gender discrimination, and some of that has even happened here in the church. And that's really unfortunate, because we believe that men and women are both made in the image of God. They're both designed to reflect the glory of God. They are both equal in value. One is not better than the other. But that leads us to the next thing. Although men and women are equal in value, they are not identical. Men and women are not identical. And there would be a lot of people in today's society who would argue that in some ways men and women are identical. And they are interchangeable. And that's really sad. Because ultimately that pits men and women up against each other. In a kind of competition with each one being forced to do things that they were not originally gifted to do, and that ultimately just results in more hurt all around, instead of men and women each thriving as they work together in their unique and God-given ways. Because although men and women are equal in value, they are not identical in role, nor are they identical in psychological and physiological makeup, Both men and women have unique roles to play that they are specially suited for in the kingdom of God. And we're gonna explore this a lot more in depth later. And for that, we're gonna have to go deeper than just body parts. Because gender is more than just your body's plumbing. And if we believe that we are made in the image of God and that God is spiritual, then there's something spiritual about your gender too. So two more things before we begin. First, our culture needs biblical truth our culture needs biblical truth because every single one of us in here has already been taught what it means to be human what it means to be a man what it means to be a woman we all grew up about around men and women who modeled this for us whether rightly or wrongly we've all drunk plenty of the culture's kool-aid and listened to the media say about what a man is and what a woman must be There's not a single person in the room today who's walking in here as a blank slate saying, oh, teacher, I have no preconceived notions about such things. Please teach me. No, we're all walking in here with presuppositions based off of our experience. Each and every one of us has an inherent bias in regard to this topic. So it's best to just acknowledge that and admit that we need some objective truth. We need the Bible to tell us what a man is and what a woman is. You may notice I'm wearing a pink shirt this morning. Uh, One day, I remember in college, I wore a pink shirt to class, and one of of the professors said to me, what, you just trying to prove to the whole world that you're secure in your manhood or something? (laughs) Well, actually, did you know that the color pink, although it's considered a mostly feminine color now, actually used to be the masculine color, and that baby boys were pink up until actually the year 1940s when all that shifted? It's just recent. So, in other words, all those gender roles and cultural norms that the world forces on us about what a guy must do and what a girl must do, those things are all fluid. They're constantly changing and shifting, so we can't trust culture to tell us what a man is and what a woman is. We must have objective truth. We need to hear what our Creator has to say. Because we believe that God created us, and that our identity as human beings is rooted in Him, not in our individual preferences or opinions. And if we follow that plan that he created for us, not only will it bring him maximum glory, but it will be for our maximum good. Because this is not just God as some cosmic cop in heaven, you know, wanting to keep us from having a good time and telling us to follow all these rules so that we don't have any fun and we can't do whatever we want to do. That's not who our God is. No, the path to true and lasting joy lies in following God because he's for us. He's not against us. He designed us to flourish. He designed us to live a full life as men and women made in his image. When Jesus came, he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So as we follow God's plan for our lives, we ourselves will finally become fully alive and we will experience our adoption as sons and daughters of a good, good father God. And that is our truest identity. Because what we need most is not a surgery to free us to become who we think we really are. What we need most is a salvation that will transform us holistically into who we were always meant to be. We need a new birth. We need biblical truth. And we also need biblical grace because every person in this room has a story, and every person in this room has a scar on their heart. Let's call it what it is. These are hard topics, aren't they? They're necessary, but they're hard. And some of you are going to listen to this sermon series with a lump in your throat because this is your struggle or because the home that you came from was a hurtful place. And there are some people who have different ideas about gender and family and sexuality. And we will proclaim the biblical truth without shame. We will not back off of God's plan. But we are called to be sensitive and to love those who disagree with us. Those ideas that we hear floating around need to be run through the filter of God's word and not always believed. But those people still need to be listened to and loved. So no matter how you were born, No matter how your chemicals and hormones are firing right now, no matter how your body parts are or are not wired, no matter who you're attracted to, what sin you're struggling with, or what wound on your heart is still healing, we believe that you can find peace in Jesus Christ. So as we discover the truth together for the next few weeks, we want to do it with grace. Arms open wide like Jesus. And we want all of you to know that no matter your hurts, your habits, or your hangups, you are welcome here. And we want this to be an open dialogue with you guys. We want you to come talk to us. We want you to approach us. We wanna have a discussion about, about your stories, about your hurts, about your questions. We wanna hear those things. We're all in this together. We want this to be a church where nobody has to pretend to be perfect, where everyone is welcome, and where the absolute truth is proclaimed with the utmost love. So without further ado, we're going to jump in, but before we do, let's pray together. Great Creator God, we are thankful for how you have designed us. We are thankful that you have revealed your truth to us. We are thankful that our truest identity is found in you and that you're offering us peace and hope. And I ask today, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you would guide our eyes, that you give us open ears and open hearts to be able to discern who you are calling us to be and then that you would empower us through your spirit to live that calling out. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So what is a man? What makes man unique? Well, biologically, there are a lot of things that make men and women distinct. Here are just a few. Men have higher metabolisms than women, but women are more naturally better suited to fight infection than men. Men have normally larger windpipes and greater lung capacity than women. Now, our wives would say that's just because we're full of hot air, right? Men have fewer sensory nerve endings on their skin, which means that they have a higher peripheral pain tolerance on their skin, but it also means that women have a better sense of touch than men. Men typically have better night vision and can read finer print, but women can see color better than men. Women have better senses of smell, taste, and hearing. Pretty sure our wives could make a joke right there too. In fact, some brain scans have shown that when a, man's, uh, when a man is totally at rest and his mind is in a state of rest, 70% of the electrical activity in his mind shuts down. But while a woman is in that exact same state of rest, 90% of her mind's electrical activity is still going. In other words, a woman is constantly uh, receiving and processing the information that's going on in the environment around her. Uh, one book says it like this, that, that when a woman is sitting in her living room As she knows her children's relationship struggles, their hopes, their crushes, their dreams, their fears, their friends, what they're thinking about, what their mood is, what kind of mischief they're planning at the moment. Whereas a man is just vaguely aware that there happen to be some short people who live in the same house as him. (laughs) It's true, isn't it, fellas? (laughs) So there are biological differences between males and females, but that doesn't answer the heart of our question. What is a man? More than just his physiological makeup, what does it mean to be masculine? Well, based on hours of uh, tireless and extensive research, I've come up with five things that our culture says a real man must do. First one, a real man is not allowed to cry, even if he's been shot. (laughs) The only acceptable reason to cry is if the dog dies at the end of the movie. (laughs) In which case, here's my shoulder, let the tears flow, bro, I feel you. (laughs) Number two, a real man does not ask for a bathroom break on road trips. Real men, hold it. Here's a bottle if you need it, we're still going. (laughs) Number three, a real man does not see other guys watching a sporting event and ask, who's playing? No, a, a real man knows who's playing. It's okay to ask what's the score or yell at the refs, but you're supposed to know who's playing. Number four. A real man stands on the side of the road with the hood popped when he has car trouble. Even if he has no idea what's going on or what he's staring at, he's supposed to act like he knows what he's doing. Yep, that's broke. (laughs) (laughs) And number five, a real man grows a beard. You should be able to grow your own socks on your face by age 17, get yourself some flannel, look like a lumberjack. That's what a real man does. At least that's what our culture says, right? Right? Now, if you've watched any movies, you know that our culture says that to be a real man, you have to be some kind of a mix of Chuck Norris, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and John Wayne with a little dash of Brad Pitt thrown in for good measure, right? Who is that? None of us. I guess by some cultural standards, technically, I could be considered a manly man, I grew up working on the farm with calluses on my hands. I grew up driving tractors and shooting guns and riding a motorcycle and building stuff. I love to work on cars. I love to listen to country music. I like to play sports. I guess you could say I'm a manly man. But also by some cultural standards, I would be considered a wimp because my hands are soft now because I spend most of my week sitting in front of a computer writing sermons uh, I, in case you haven't noticed, I can't grow a beard. <laughs> and some of you out there who have beards can't grow beards either, just saying. By <laughs> <laughs> I like to play the piano. I'm five foot eight and 155 pounds on a good day. I'm a bookworm. I'm a nerd. By a lot of cultural standards, I would be considered a wimp. So what does it mean to be Masculine. There are some of you in the room today who may not be feeling like much of a man right now. Maybe you're struggling with homosexual attraction. Maybe you are caught in the death grip of pornography. Maybe you've been horribly abused in your past or in your present, at home or at school. Maybe you were raised by a neglectful dad or an overprotective mom. Maybe you're a teenager with embarrassing secrets that you've never told anybody. Maybe you're single and you wish you were married or maybe you're married and you wish you were single. Maybe you're struggling to measure up as a man in a man's world. Well, church, today, you are not defined by your struggles or your symptoms. You are not labeled by your past or your emotions. You are not identified by your challenges or your circumstances. You are not branded by false classifications of what it means to be a man. Today, we are going to discover that there is hope through the power of the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us to become God's man and what it means to be masculine as he has designed us. So what does it mean to be a man? Here it is. A man who is God's man is strong enough to carry the load. A man who is God's man is strong enough to carry the load. As men, we were built to bear burdens. In fact, the Greek word in scripture for male is the word arson, which means to carry or lift. To be a man means that God has given us a responsibility, a weight to carry. And we are called to reflect who God is by gently, humbly, proactively carrying that weight. So let's look at the beginning of the Bible today and find out exactly what I mean by that. If you open your Bibles uh, to the first two chapters of Genesis, you'll notice something right off the bat. It's that man was created first. God created the male first. Genesis chapter two, verse seven says, then the Lord God formed a man From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God creates Adam, the first man, here in verse 7, but it's actually not till verse 21 later on that God creates the first woman, his wife, Eve, from his rib. And God creating the man first was no accident. You see, in Jewish culture, the firstborn son had the responsibility to carry out the father's instructions and act on the father's behalf with the father's authority. It was the firstborn who was responsible for the well-being of his siblings. The buck stopped with him. And Adam was the firstborn of the human race. He was responsible for the well-being of the human family and ultimately he failed but he was just a pointer to the greater firstborn of all creation jesus himself is called the firstborn colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says of jesus that he is the head of the body the church the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy so in the same way that christ bears the weight for the church and lovingly leads the church we are called to bear the weight for and lovingly lead those around us, whether it's our family or those in our circle of influence. We're gonna hit that in a later sermon, guys. But the firstborn, for now, just know that the firstborn is given the weight of the responsibility of the welfare for those around him. And a man who is God's man is strong enough to carry that load. Secondly, man was given a job. And the job it consisted of three main things. First, the man was called to work. Man was designed to work. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So, fellas, we were made to work. We are hardwired to take care of things, to be productive. And unfortunately, there are many males in our culture who are suffering from extended adolescence. They're refusing to grow up and accept their God-given responsibility to work. Hear me, a man who's scared of hard work, a man who's scared of commitment, a man who's scared of discipline, that's not a man. That's a boy, no matter how old he is. Because a man who is God's man is strong enough to carry that load. He works, not just for himself, but to provide and to contribute for others. We're we're designed to be providers and contributors as men. Now, that doesn't mean that women don't work I think it's great when women work outside of the home. I also think it's great when women stay home. This also has no bearing on who's the primary breadwinner of your family or whether you or your wife make the most money. It doesn't matter. When I was in college and Rebecca had already graduated, she's the one who worked at the bank putting me through school. She's the one who brought home the bacon, and I have no shame in saying that. But men were not designed to be lazy. Men were designed to work hard, and to produce, and to provide in some way. I've heard it said that a man should lay his head down on his pillow at night and be dog-tired because of how hard he worked that day. A man's called to work. Secondly, a man is made to rule. Ruling is part of our job, exercising authority. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, God gives the man the right to rule the animals by naming them. Check this out, he says, "'And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground "'all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky.'" He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Can you imagine what a funny day this would have been? Adam naming all the animals. The animals that Adam liked got cool names, right? Lion, dog, stallion, eagle. Those are good. But that little annoying bird over there that got on Adam's nerves over in the corner? Dodo bird. (laughs) Would have been a funny day. From the very beginning, man was called to exercise authority over creation. I can remember once as a kid, I don't know, I was maybe seven or eight years old, and my dad was getting ready to leave town for the weekend. And before he did, he, he pulled me over. I remember exactly where I was. I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, now, Luke, when I'm gone, you're the man of the house. A <laughs> little eight-year-old Luke, I ain't even heard of puberty yet, but I'm thinking, yeah, I'm the man. I am the boss of this house. Didn't go over too well with my mom, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> but that's, that's not how a godly man is called to rule. Uh, to g- rule in a godly manner is to exercise authority in the same way that Jesus Christ exercises authority over us. His church, that's Ephesians chapter 5. We'll get there in a later sermon. But we are called to live our lives and to give our lives up for those under our care. We're called to not abuse our authority for selfish purposes or to use our power for personal gain. We're called to put ourselves last, as Jesus did. A godly man rules by making decisions that are in the best interest of those around him. And a man who is God's man is strong enough to carry that load. Thirdly, a man's job is to protect. Look at verse 15 again in chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You see, part of taking care of something is protecting it from harm, right? God created men to be protectors. One time while Rebecca and I were dating, I was working on the farm, and she came up one night after I got off work, and we, took, we went out on a tractor ride. And it was, it was dark outside, and we took some fireworks, and we drove up on one of the pond dams. We were going to set the fireworks off and watch them reflect in the pond. It was going to be fun. But, but then before we got started, I, I noticed that there were some headlights over in an area where I knew a vehicle was not supposed to be. You see, we'd had some trouble with the people stealing stuff in the past from one of the barns in one of these fields, and so here Rebecca and I are, and we're watching this thief in the night rummaging around looking for more stuff to steal, and he has no idea that we're there. So I have a few options at this point of what I can do. I didn't have my cell phone with me, so I can't call the cops. I guess I could go over there and confront him with my little pocket knife, but I'm not really in the mood to get shot, <laughs> I, got, I brought fireworks with me. I could light a Roman candle and shoot it at him. I'm not sure that would do a whole lot. So what did I do? I said, hey, Rebecca, I'm going to stay and make sure he doesn't steal the tractor. Why don't you go over there and check that out? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I didn't do that. Because men are called to be the protectors. If a robber comes into your house at night, it's not the woman who stands in front of the man and says, step aside, honey, I'll take the bullet. <laughs> no. By the way, I ended up just flipping the tractor on and starting it up and shining the headlights on him and driving towards him and he ran off into the night and we never saw him again. But men are called to be protectors. Part of that means we're called to physically protect. Our bodies are just hardwired to be bigger and stronger. But maybe what that means even more is that even more than physical protection, we're designed to be spiritual protectors, moral protectors. Check this out. Chapter two, verses 16 through 17. 17. And the Lord God commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God gives Adam the rules. But notice who's not on the scene yet. Eve. So in other words, God is entrusting to Adam the responsibility to guard the moral purity of the garden and protect the spiritual health of his family by communicating God's word to his wife. It's Adam's job to tell Eve not to eat from that tree, to protect her morally and spiritually. If you attend a Christian church service, This morning across America, on average, you will find yourself in a congregation that is 61% men, or excuse me, 61% women, and 39% men. Women are 54% more likely than men to participate in a small group. Women are also 39% more likely to have a devotional or quiet time, 33% more likely to volunteer for church, and 29% more likely to share their faith with others. Now, good for the women. Kudos to them. But it sure sounds like, to me, like men need to step up their game and start spiritually protecting their families like God is calling them to, because God's man is strong enough to carry that load. I think we need men like King Josiah who banished evil people from the land of Israel and got rid of the foreign idols and restored the worship of God among the people of God. I think uh, we need men like Joshua and Caleb who were brave enough to follow God and attack the promised land even when all the other men were chickening out. I think we need men like John the Baptist who was bold enough to stare King Herod right in the eyes and condemn him for his sexual immorality. I think we need men like Jesus who spent long days teaching his people how to follow God and spent long nights staying up praying for his people and praying for God to help him do his job and died to protect his people from the power of sin and death. We need men like that who do the job of working and ruling and protecting. And yet when we fail in our duty to lead like that, we will be held responsible that's the last thing. Man was held responsible. Look at the account of the first sin in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. It says When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. It was the woman who ate the fruit, but God didn't come to her first. God came to Adam and held him responsible because he failed in his duty to be a truly masculine, spiritual, and moral leader and protector. Now, God does hold Eve accountable for her sin, but the primary responsibility falls on Adam as the man, and I'm afraid, church, that we are living in a world of weak men, a world of fathers and sons and brothers and friends who need to man up and start holding each other accountable. Our country is facing an epidemic of absentee fathers, dads who aren't there, or dads who may be there but aren't engaged. Dads who belittle their wives or get annoyed at their kids or who are too just distracted to put everything down and and pursue the hearts of the people in their home. Dads who are are too lazy to do the hard work of developing intimate and life-giving relationships with the people that God has entrusted to them. Did you know that on average, American fathers only give each of their kids three minutes of undivided attention every day? That's not gonna cut it, fellas. It's time to be God's man and be strong enough to carry that load that even after coming home from a long day of work when you're dead tired, you can still put in the hard work of gently and intentionally, relationally investing in the people around you. Whether your family or your circle of influence, those are people that God has entrusted you with. We need his help to do that because on my own strength, I'm not strong enough. But every day, you come home and you say, Jesus, I know you're wanting me to minister to my family, so give me the power. And then you do it. So we're going to wrap it up here, but before we do, I want to I give a word to the ladies. A few things here, girls, that you need to know just from a man's perspective. First thing is this. We need your respect. The core fear of each of us men is weightlessness. We need to know as guys that our words carry weight, that we are making a difference, that we are worthy of respect. Because honestly, as macho and tough as we can appear and as bad at communicating as we are about how we feel, we really are tender creatures on the inside. And our egos are really, really fragile. So your words have a huge amount of power to either enable us to live out our calling as godly men or to cripple us. Your words are important. So, ladies and wives in particular, will you use your words to build us up, to let us know that we still got what it takes, that you respect us, that you admire us, that you might need our help sometimes to to just build us up? We need that. Uh, Ephesians 5.33 says, for a reason, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's nobody in the world whose words carry more weight with me than Rebecca, And 20 of you guys can come up after the service today and tell me what a great sermon it was, but if Rebecca doesn't say anything, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Your words carry weight with us, so will you use them to communicate that you respect us even when we may not deserve it? That's lifeblood in our veins. Secondly, ladies, we need your prayer because none of us are who we were fully meant to be yet, and you know that, you've experienced that. So ladies, we need you to do battle for us every day on your knees before the throne of God because we can't become who we're called to be without his power. So actually, here's what I wanna do for a second. Ladies, there's gonna be a prayer pop up on the screen in a minute and I'm gonna read it along with you even though I'm not a girl. But I just want you all to vocalize a prayer for the men in this church. Will you read this out loud with me? Father, raise up a generation of men whose hearts are totally yours. Through your power, raise up in this church men who will lead, love, Protect and provide like you do. Raise up men who follow you with everything that they have. Help us to do all we can to encourage and empower those men. So we need your respect. We need your prayer. And the last thing is this. We need your high expectations. We need you to not settle for us guys living like selfish little boys anymore. Certainly, we need you to give us grace when we fail, and that will be often, but we need you to set the bar high for us. We need you to say like King David said to his son Solomon in his last words, be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Women, you should expect us to live like godly men. Don't settle for anything less. And if there's anything us guys like, it's rising to meet a challenge. So challenge your man in a loving way to step it up. And I'm gonna wrap up with just a word to the fellas here. Guys, this is a high calling. This is a lot to live up to. So how do we do this? How in the world can we become who God's calling us to be? There's only one way. Lead by following. We are called as men to lead by following because only as we follow Jesus can we carry the weight that we are being called by him to carry. And a man who is God's man is strong enough to carry that load, but ultimately we will have our weak moments and we will all fail to become who God's calling us to be, which is why we have to drag ourselves back up on the altar every day and repent of our weakness and our boyishness and say, God, I wanna be your man. Have your way in me right now and empower me to live that out. We need his power, his strength, because we're all gonna screw up sometimes which is why I'm so thankful for Jesus, the only truly perfectly masculine man, God's man, the God man, who was strong enough to carry the load on our behalf when we couldn't carry it, to bear the cross and to die in our place, liberating us from sin and giving us his Holy Spirit who empowers us every day to once again reflect God's image and become God's man. I have a son, his name's Judah. He just turned six months old this weekend. And he's gonna learn from me what it means to be a man. And I'm gonna teach him how to hit a baseball, how to change the oil in his car, and how to clean a fish. But that's not teaching him how to be a man. I'm gonna teach him how to be a man by teaching him how to follow Jesus. So fellas, here's how I wanna end today. There's gonna be another prayer on the screen and the full sentences, I'll read those and then I'm gonna point to you when some bullet points come up on the screen and I want all of us to pray that together, that God would make us men like that. Father, we need your help to become the men you've meant us to be. Whether old or young, single or married, we ask you to make us wise enough to protect, protect. proactive enough to to provide. provide, bold enough to stand out, loving enough to die to ourselves, disciplined enough to be pure, selfless enough to sacrifice. Father, we're not perfect men, but we wanna be godly men. We wanna be men after your own heart. Teach us to be honest enough to be open, humble enough to be kind, faithful enough to pray, Generous enough to give freely. Noble enough to honor women. Merciful enough to forgive quickly. Father, empower us to follow Jesus, to become the men you have called us to be. Amen.